appreciate everybody being here again this evening. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke tonight. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, started looking at uh, what we might learn from the prayer practices of Jesus. How did Jesus pray? Uh, what, were his, what was His practice in prayer? And we're going to eventually look at some content of some of the prayers of Jesus. We noted in our discussion that Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father, very close, very personal relationship, of course, a relationship unlike anyone else's relationship with God, as close as a person might be to God, not as close as Jesus, the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father, and anyone to whom the Son reveals, uh, wills to reveal Him. And so the relationship between Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Father, very close. In fact, John 10 verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. Jesus Himself was deity, and as deity, He was equal with God. Yet, we saw that Jesus spent a great deal of time in prayer Himself. If Jesus, as close to God as He was, even in some ways equal with God, if He felt the need to pray, certainly all to feel the need to pray, and who better to learn to pray from than Christ Himself? And so we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the prayers of Jesus, the prayer practices of Jesus, and see what we might be able to learn from them. Well, here are some things that we learned in our last lesson. We saw that though Jesus prayed in the company of others, which He did, He spent a lot of time in prayer alone, and noted a couple of passages that indicate that. And so that's something that we ought to do as well. We pray when we're together as a congregation. We pray when we're together as a family, perhaps. But we need to spend time in prayer alone, as Jesus did. He spent time in quiet, away from everything, away from the hustle and bustle of life. Just He and Himself, uh, He and God alone, and He spends time in prayer. He prayed often and prayed regularly. It was His habit. He would often slip away and pray. And the idea there is this, this is His custom or His habit to slip away by Himself and spend time in prayer. We saw that Jesus prayed in the morning. He prayed in the evening. And so those were times of regular prayer for devout Jews. Jesus, being a devout Jew, would have prayed in the morning and in the evening, and perhaps at midday as well. And so praying regularly, praying often, praying multiple times a day is good prayer practice. We learn that from Christ. Jesus prayed for His own needs at times. Can you think of a couple of times when Jesus prayed for His own needs? Well, certainly in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's praying for His own needs. In that first section in John chapter 17, Jesus prays, again, for His own needs, that the Father might glorify Him with the glory that He had with the Father before the world began. And so Jesus does pray for Himself, His own concerns, His own needs, but of course He prays for others as well. Tells Peter, I've been praying for you. Yeah. Told Peter that Satan asked that he might sift him as wheat, but I've been praying for you. And so Jesus spent time in prayer for others as well. Jesus prayed fervently. 
wasn't simply a, a, a memorized prayer that he rattles off without giving much thought to it, but he prays earnestly, fervently, intensely, sincerely. Good illustration of that, Luke 22, the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus teaches His disciples to pray in His name. And so we pray when we, when we pray, whether in private or in public, we pray in Jesus' name. Usually we use that expression, in Jesus' name. At the end of our prayers, it doesn't have to be done that way. Might use, invoke Jesus' name at the beginning of the prayer, in the middle for that matter. But we pray in Jesus' name. One place where Jesus teaches us to pray is in the parables. And so we're going to look at prayer in the parables. Let's start looking at that tonight. We're going to look at a couple of parables tonight, maybe a couple of parables next week. But several of the parables are the, the, the purpose of the parable, the intent, the main focus is on prayer. Other parables uh, have to do with prayer. For example, Jesus told a parable about the publican and the Pharisee going down to the temple to pray. And so that parable involves prayer. So we're going to look at prayer in the parables of Jesus. Not all parables are about prayer, of course, but several of them are. What is a parable? Well, I learned when I was a child that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You remember that, that particular description of parables? Now, not all parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings, but it's usually some sort of scene taken from common everyday life, and Jesus draws from that common everyday scene some spiritual lessons. And so that's, that's what we look for in a parable. About one-third of Jesus' teaching was in parables, at least the, the teaching of Jesus that's included for us in the New Testament. And again, they're drawn from common, ordinary experiences. A sower went out to sow. And so the people had seen that, no doubt, many times as they walked through the countryside. A sower, they hadn't done it themselves, they'd seen it done. Or tares are growing up with wheat. If they didn't know about that, that's a common enough experience that they would at least understand the, the idea. A friend comes to someone at midnight needing something. Someone has lost a sheep or a coin. Someone has found a treasure. So those are just sort of common everyday experiences that people can relate to. Jesus uses those, draws from those valuable spiritual lessons or applies those to valuable spiritual lessons. The first parable we're going to look at tonight is found in Luke chapter 11. So turn over there, Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at this parable that Jesus tells about a man who goes to a house of his friend in the middle of the night wanting something. So let's just read in verse 5. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come from, to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me, the door has already been shut, my, my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give me anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs." Now notice that this particular parable follows immediately from the model prayer. 
In the beginning of Luke chapter 11, disciples come to Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he says to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and so forth. And then he tells them this parable about a man who has a friend. The man has a visitor come to him, but the man doesn't have enough food to feed him with. And I don't know, that would be an unusual thing for people that that live day to day. And so you do your day's work for that day's bread. And then the next day you get up and you do that day's work for that day's bread. And if someone comes and visits you unexpectedly, you might not have enough, especially at the end of the day, to, to feed yourself if you've got a family and your visitor. And so don't know that that would be an uncommon experience. We, we go to the pantry or the refrigerator, we can find something to eat. But at that time and place, perhaps not. And so, not having enough to eat, he goes to his friend's house, and it's the middle of the night. Now, that doesn't bother him. He's not embarrassed about that. He's not ashamed about that, that he would go knocking on the door in the middle of the night. He's in need, and so he goes at perhaps the most inconvenient time uh, that, that he could go. And so he knocks on the door, explains the situation, and the man gets up and says, Look, I, I can't answer the door. It's the middle of the night. We've already gone to bed. My, my children and I have already gone to bed. Now, some of the houses back then in that place were more or less one room. And so the children would lay in the floor. <laughs> here's the door. The children would lay in the floor and all the way across to the other side of the room. And here's the father over here. And look, I can't get up and walk over my children and get to the door and open it. So everybody's asleep. We've already gone to bed. And so he's just explaining to him, look, it's just not convenient for me to get up and, and provide for you what, what you need. Well, Jesus then, that's the kind of the end of the parable. We don't know what happens next except that Jesus comments on it in verse 8. I tell you, even though you will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, uh, the English Standard Version says impudence. Uh, the footnote in the New American Standard Bible says shamelessness. And so it seems to me the idea may be that the man felt no shame about knocking on the guy's door in the middle of the night. <laughs> what do you mean knocking on my door at midnight? You know, I, well, I'm not. So, and so because of his shamelessness or impudence or persistence might be a good way to render that, uh, he, he'll give to him. If he doesn't give to him because he's a friend, he'll give to him because of his persistence. Well, what do we draw from all of this? Verse 9, Jesus continues and makes some comments about about prayer uh, based on this particular parable. Verse 9, he says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks will be opened. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He'll not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? Now if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so in those comments, Jesus assures His disciples that God will respond to our request by providing what we need. And so if you need bread, He'll give you bread. If you need fish, He'll give you fish, and so forth. 
Ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you. All right, so let's just draw a few lessons from, from the parable, some lessons about prayer. God is like and unlike the man. This is one of those parables where Jesus teaches by way of contrast. And so God in some ways is like the man in the parable, but in some ways he's unlike the man in the parable. God is like the man in the parable in that he will respond to our requests. And so just like the man in the parable, he does respond. Remember Jesus says, if he doesn't respond because of his friend, he will respond because of his persistence. And so Jesus says he, he will respond. And so in that way, God is like the man in the parable in that he will respond to our requests. You might remember 1 John chapter 5 and verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Now I understand that prayer is a big subject and it really wouldn't be the right thing to do. Just pluck a passage here and there and say this is everything we need to know about prayer. But these passages do assure us that God will hear us. If we ask according to His will, if we ask in the right way, He will respond with what is best. After all, Jesus says back in Luke chapter 11, whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, will find. Whoever knocks, it will be opened. What is Jesus saying other than that God will respond, the Father will respond to your request. And so, God is like the man in that he responds. He hears and he answers. He's unlike the man in that he responds willingly. Now the man in the parable wasn't too willing to respond. Remember he got up and he said, look, it's too late. We're already in bed. I, 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 I can't meet your request. You know, it's, it's inconvenient for me. Well, Jesus, the, the father is unlike the man in that way. The father provides will according to our needs. You see that in verses 11 and 12. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He's not going to give him a snake instead of a fish, is he? Or if he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion, is he? Now God is going to give you what you need and he's going to give it to you generously and willingly. And so in this sense, God is unlike the man in the parable. And so the point is something like, well, if we will give, even though reluctantly, how much more will God give generously is the point that's being made. A second point that, this is distracting, isn't it? A second point is Jesus is teaching us to be persistent in prayer. And so Jesus makes the point that if he doesn't provide for his friend because he's a friend, he will do so because of his persistence. Be persistent in prayer. Know that God responds. God responds willingly. We need to ask and pray persistently. Again, verse 9 and 10. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. Who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. The idea there is we need to ask repeatedly or habitually. Whoever is in the habit of asking, 
whoever asks repeatedly. And so that, I think that's the idea. Whoever asks will receive. And so we need to be persistent in our prayers. Ask and seek and knock. We're told throughout the New Testament that we need to pray and pray frequently. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 and through 7. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we're told to pray. Let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. You already know that verse, don't you? Pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Pray repeatedly. Pray often. Be in the habit of praying. Don't ever get out of the habit of praying. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. We know what it means to devote ourselves to something. He's devoted to it. He does it repeatedly. It's his habit. It's his custom. It's his practice to be involved in this particular activity. And so be devoted to prayer. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. You're familiar with Ephesians 6 as that passage that deals with the, the, the whole armor of God. Goes through that passage, the whole armor of God. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and, and petition for all the saints. Pray at all times. <laughs> Pray at all times in the Spirit. Notice also at the end of verse 18, the words uh, perseverance, petition. And so with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Be persistent in prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Pray without ceasing. Pray repeatedly. Pray habitually. That's one of the points of the parables. And so Jesus prayed daily. We've already seen that. Prayed multiple times a day. A study of the book of Acts, which we've surveyed several times, shows us that the early disciples were praying people. They prayed often. They prayed frequently. Somebody has observed, I think it's a pretty good observation. I understand that sometimes when we pray, the answer is no. And we may pray for a thing repeatedly, and we don't get the answer that we're looking for. That happened to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, concerning the thorn in the flesh. I asked the Lord three times to take it away. His answer was, my grace is sufficient. In other words, I'm not going to take it away, but I'll give you the strength to endure it. Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me. The answer was no. So I understand that. I understand that sometimes the answer is no, and we need to be willing to accept that answer. But somebody has observed, if, if, if we don't care enough about a thing to ask for it repeatedly, we don't care very much about it, do we? <laughs> and so, pray repeatedly. Pray habitually. Pray often. Be persistent in prayer. Well, the third observation I'll make in this is that, oh, let me go back. Our prayers, our prayers never inconvenience God. Remember we said that God is like the man in the parable in some ways, and in other ways, he's unlike the man in the parable. And so, he's like the man in the parable in that he will respond to our prayers, but he's unlike the man in the parable in that the man was a little aggravated. <laughs> that
that his friend came to him in the middle of the night. It's inconvenient for we've already gone to bed. Well, God is not like that. Our prayers will never inconvenience God, ne never be an inconvenience to God. Doesn't matter if we pray early in the morning, doesn't pray, no matter if we pray in the middle of the day or the middle of the night. God is always there, ready to hear, ready to answer our prayer. Don't think, well, you know, God's too busy for me. You know, God's got all kind of things to have to deal with in the world, you know. He's got major international crises going on that he's got to deal with, and here I am with my little puny problems, and I don't want to be an inconvenience to God. He's too busy for me. Or, you know, my, my, my problems are not big enough. I mean, there are people out there with big problems in their lives, and my problem's just not big enough to bother God with. You know, our prayers never inconvenience God. In the Bible, we find people praying for big things. What I, but the way I, I, the things that I would describe as big things. In Isaiah chapter 37, there we have Hezekiah praying on behalf of the nation, beginning in verse 18. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries and their lands, have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they've destroyed them. They've destroyed them. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord, you alone are our Lord, uh, our God. That's, that's pretty big, isn't it? <laughs> you know? The Assyrian army is coming down on Jerusalem, and Hezekiah prays for rescue, for deliverance. And he says, I want everybody in the world, I want all the nations throughout the world to know that you alone are God. And that's Hezekiah praying for a big thing. On the other hand, we find people praying for small things. Paul prays about the thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse, that's just a personal, individual thing with, with Paul. It's not international, it's not national, <laughs> it's just personal. But he prays about it. Jesus teaches us, give us this day our daily bread. Just give me enough to get me through the day so that I'll have enough to eat. That's a pretty small thing, really, in the, in the, in the wider scope of things. And so my point is, we pray for big things, we pray for little things, that God is interested in hearing all of that. And none of our prayers ever inconvenience Him. He's always available to hear and to answer His children's prayers. Well, let's look at another parable. Here's just a few lessons from this parable. God will respond to our prayers. God responds willingly. Be persistent in prayer. And remember, our prayers never inconvenience God. Let's look at another very similar parable over in Luke chapter 18. A similar parable in lots of ways, but we'll just take a few minutes and look at this one, Luke 18. Now, he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city. She kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. 
Now, will not God bring about justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night? And will He delay long over them? I tell you that He will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, He thought... And so you can see just from a kind of a surface reading of that text, well, that sounds a lot like the parable that we just looked at. And they do have some points in common. There are two characters in the parable, a widow and a judge. Now, the widow would be in a difficult situation, not strong enough to do manual labor, no professional skill, not educated, formally educated at least, and really dependent on others. She doesn't have a husband, and apparently in this particular case may not have a son. She seems to be by herself. In the Old Testament, we find that widows were to be cared for. And that's, that's emphasized in a number of places. I think about Isaiah chapter 1, and Isaiah is addressing the immorality and ungodliness that exists in Israel during his day. And he says in verse 17 that they should learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the widow, and plead, uh, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. You remember James chapter 1, verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before our God and Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And so the New Testament, the Old Testament, both Testaments emphasize caring for widows. And why would they be caring for widows? Because they're vulnerable. They're, they're in a difficult situation, as I said a moment ago, not strong enough to dig, not, not formally educated. And, and so they're, they're alone. They're dependent on the goodness of others. Sometimes the rich and powerful would take advantage of the poor and powerless to their own advantage in their own interests. Turn over to the book of Amos, this small book in the Minor Prophets. Amos emphasizes this idea where the rich and powerful take advantage of the poor. Chapter 2 and verse 6, For three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. They pant after the very dust of the earth on the head of the helpless and turn aside the way of the humble. And so you got the rich and powerful, and they're manipulating the system, using the system, in order to take advantage of those who, who don't have and who are powerless. Selling the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of shoes. And so to enrich themselves to their own advantage, they take advantage of the weakness of others. Sometimes they would offer bribes to judges to decide in their favor against the poor. Amos chapter 5 and verse 12. I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. And so here you have those who are making decisions on behalf of the people who come before them. And here's someone who slips them some money, and here's a little bribe. If you'll, if you'll decide in my favor, it'll be yours. And so he does, and the poor suffer even more. And so that's the situation that uh, it seems that Jesus has in mind here. And so the widow is going before the judge pleading on her behalf. Give me some protection. Somebody out there is trying to, you know, is, is, is trying to hurt me. It's trying to take what I've got, and it's unjust. And so she pleads for justice. She pleads for legal protection. 
The judge doesn't care. The, 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 in the parable, Jesus describes the judge as he doesn't have any respect for God or man. In fact, he's described as unrighteous in verse 6. And so the action involves an urgent request from the widow. An adversary is trying to take advantage of her. She's in the right. All right, she's in the right. And so she goes to the judge and asks for justice, asks for protection. Now the judge decides to respond, but it seems to take him a while, you know. He doesn't respond right away. He doesn't say, yes, I can see your situation. I can see you're in the right. Uh, that infuriates me, what this guy's trying to do to you. I, I decide in your favor, you leave her alone. He doesn't he does do that right away. In fact, he says, you know, she's going to wear me out. If I, if I don't answer her, if I don't respond to her, if I don't grant her her, her appeal, she's just going to wear me out. And so the judge decides to respond to her request. Now, this is another parable in which the leading character is like and unlike God. We have to be careful about making one-to-one -one correspondences between the details of a parable and spiritual things. But it seems clear here that the judge is, plays the role of, of God in the parable. And God is both like and unlike the judge. Now, God is not unjust. The, the judge is unjust. He's described that way. God is altogether just. And that's the point of the parable. If an unjust judge can be moved by the petitions of a poor widow, how much more will the perfectly just God be moved by the petitions of His children? And so it's kind of an argument from the lesser to the greater, isn't it? If, if a guy who's in this situation will respond, how much more will our Heavenly Father respond to His children? And so, we pray to God because He is our Father. He loves us. He will respond to us willingly and generously. That's the point of James over in James chapter 1. Remember James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, that man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. And so James tells us, in the case of wisdom, that God gives willingly and generously. Isn't that one example of the way God gives generously? Well, yes, I would think so. And so, remember when we pray that God gives willingly and generously to His children. Be persistent in prayer. We've already talked about this. Talk about it again a little bit. Maybe that'll make us remember or help us remember the point. In the parable, the widow is concerned about an injustice that's been done to her. We might just take a minute or two as an aside to just make the comment that Christians will sometimes be treated unjustly. Now, we studied the book of Revelation not too very long ago. And you remember what we saw in Revelation chapter 6? In the case of the opening of the fifth seal, the Lamb broke the fifth seal. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had manifested. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, 
How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so here are some who have been treated unjustly. They had been killed because of their faithfulness. And so they cry out for justice, kind of like the widow. Cry out for justice. How long are you going to wait until you administer justice on our behalf? Sometimes Christians suffer unjustly. That's one example. There are other examples that we could appeal to as well. I thought about the example in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at that passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Now the writer makes the point that they had not suffered to the point that they had been put to death for their faith. But verse 32 says, Remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Sometimes Christians will suffer. They'll suffer for their faith. They'll suffer unjustly. But the parable teaches that God will deal with those who treat His people unjustly. God will deal with those. He'll be just. He'll do what's right. And He'll do it speedily, either in the near future or once He starts to deal with it, it will be done quickly and decisively. Seems that this is only one example of how God responds to those who petition Him. And so this particular woman, she petitioned Him about this particular situation. And God respond, will respond. That's the point of the parable. But we're invited to make our requests known to God as well. And so God will respond to our request as He's responded to the widow in, in, uh, in the parable. And so, be persistent in prayer. Now, I don't want to leave you with the idea that, that prayer is sort of a, a, magic, uh, you know, a magic thing that works if we repeat the right phrases we say in Jesus' name at the end, well, then we're going to get everything we ask for. If we use the right incantations, we can manipulate God into giving us what we want. Now, that, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is an appeal to God, our Father, whose interests include our welfare. He loves us. He's interested in our welfare. But he's also interested in all of those people around us. He's interested in all the world, people throughout the world. And he's also interested in the near and distant future. And so he has all of those interests in his mind as he hears our prayers. And so he's going to answer us according to what's best for us in light of the all of those interests. And so we pray, Thy will be done, and we trust Him to do what's best in our situation in light of His will. And so be persistent in prayer. The last point I'm going to make is this. Do, do we have faith to pray? And that's the question Jesus asked at the end of this parable, verse 8. I tell you, He'll bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Have you ever thought that only people of faith pray? Uh, only people of faith pray. People who don't have faith, they don't pray. <laughs> they don't pray. Prayer is an, is an act of faith. Just think about all the things that we need to believe 
in order to pray. We need to believe that God is. We need to believe that God is a person. We need to believe that God is a person who hears. We need to believe that God is a person who hears us because He loves us. And so He cares about our prayers. Our prayers make a difference to Him. We believe that God is able to respond. We believe that God will act in our best interest. Well, you've got, you got to believe a lot to pray, don't you? There are a lot of things. We could maybe even add to that list. And so prayer is an act of faith. No wonder, as we read a moment ago from the book of James, James teaches us that we must ask in faith, nothing doubting. The man who doubts, he says, is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed about by the wind. And says, you know, the man who doubts as he prays shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. And so we ask, we ask in faith. Prayer is an act of faith. We act with confidence that God will hear and respond to us. Jesus indicated that He's going to leave and return. This passage suggests that as well. However, when the Son of Man comes. Acts chapter 1, the apostles are with Jesus there. Jesus ascends. They're looking into heaven. And uh, the angel says, you know, what are you looking at? Don't you understand? He's going to come again in the same way that you've seen Him leave. You've seen Him depart. And so He's left, but He's going to depart. And there are several passages in the New Testament that, that suggest that. When, when He comes again, which He's promised He will, when He comes again, is He going to find people that pray? Is He going to find faith in the earth? The world is not a place of great faith. It doesn't encourage faith. It discourages faith. And so in a world, in our world, that's growing increasingly dark, a growing lack of faith, Fewer and fewer people acknowledge their faith today, and so it's a world with a growing lack of faith. That almost seems to be oxymoron, growing lack of faith, but maybe you know what I mean. An increasing lack of respect for people of faith. When the Lord returns, will there be any holding on to faith and praying in faith? And so the challenge, the same is a challenge to us, isn't it? And so here's a widow. She's heard because of her persistence. Be persistent in prayer. She continued to go to that judge because she believed that that judge could do something about her situation. And so be persistent in prayer. Go to God in prayer. Be persistent. Understand He has the ability to answer our prayers. Have faith in Him and confidence in Him. And ultimately, yield to His will in all things. When the Lord returns, is there going to be any people of faith left? Are we going to be holding on? Will you be holding on? Let's, uh, let's hope that we will. Here's just a few lessons from the parables of Jesus about prayer. Two very similar parables, some of the same lessons found in both, although there, there are some differences. And perhaps we've learned a little bit about how we ought to pray from the teaching of Jesus. And so, let's close with a prayer tonight. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we can come to you in prayer, that you'll hear us when we pray. We're thankful for those assurances and those promises that you've made to us in your word, that we should devote ourselves to prayer and pray at all seasons and pray without ceasing. 
It's amazing, Father, that you invite us, as small as we are, as weak as we are, as flawed as we are, to come to you in prayer. We're thankful, Father, that Jesus has opened up this way for us to speak with you as our Father. Father, we're thankful for the Scriptures and the fact that they contain the these uh, episodes from the life of Christ, that we can learn from Him in many, many ways, particularly tonight, Father, that we can learn from Him how we ought to pray. Help us, Father, to pray persistently. Help us to pray in faith. Help us to pray with confidence. Help us to pray that You're a loving Father who's willing to give, to generously give. Help us, Father, always to pray and never be troubled that our prayers might inconvenience you in some way. Father, we pray that our faith will stay strong, that we'll persevere in faith, that we will always be people of faith, no matter how dark and ungodly the world becomes. And in that faith, we will go to you with our requests, our concerns, our petitions, our thanksgivings. Thank you, Father, for making this available We pray, Father, that we will learn to use this avenue of prayer more effectively in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.